I want to honour this man. I, we have learnt so much from our time walking with him and his wife and, and hearing what, what it is they're, they're carrying, but also in the way that he has, he has fathered us in this last three, four months has been incredible. Phone conversations, hours and hours spent of us just sucking to him and, and him being able to, to have us just cry on his shoulder and, and tell him that it's too hard and then he tells us it's, it's not hard enough and then we feel better about ourselves <laughs> and then he shares stories. But Paul, Paul is very vulnerable with us and we get to see what it looks like for someone else to lead a house as well and that's super encouraging for us. He doesn't come as a superstar. He doesn't come and, and tell us that he's better than everyone else. He comes as another leader in a house, but also he carries a gift into this house that we honor and respect. And I want to thank his wife, Tracy, for allowing him to come and be here for Gateway. When he's gone, Gateway loses the, the father in the house. They loses him being there. He has an awesome team that, that helps look after, but there's still a, a deposit that they make. They are sowing Paul into this place. So I want to honour you, bro. Thank you. Thank you. I've given, I've given Paul the freedom to preach as long as he wants on whatever he wants. So buckle in. <laughs> if you've got a lamb roast, you, we should be out by one. No, no. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. So wonderful to be with you. And thank you, Ben, for uh, such honouring words. Um, I, I just think... It's just so important, let me open with this, vulnerability is, is something that is so lacking in the body of Christ and I think vulnerability is, is the most wonderful key that when we're able to recognise, as I said Thursday night, our weaknesses before the Lord and even our weaknesses before one another, we empower the perfect grace of God to be the life flow in us. And it's the grace of God, the divine life of Jesus, that actually makes us powerful into the world. And nothing can be achieved in what we're called into by way of relationship, identity or purpose through the flesh, through our own best effort. And although we hear that, we don't recognise that. And I think what I've learned over the years is uh, to promote yourself or to promote the idea that you're this uh, most amazing person going round is to create a platform you cannot sustain. When you are able to walk in the love of God and the rest of God, you are not concerned about your weaknesses. And Paul had to learn this lesson. Paul was a great, zealous man and he was very righteous. He was standing by for the stoning of Stephen and he had it right and everyone else was wrong and how dare these new apostles come along with this new message, what's going on and I'm clearly right and you're clearly wrong until he realised he was clearly wrong and they were clearly right. And then he had a revelation, he, he got a revelation that was so powerful that it not only transformed his life, it transformed his theology. It made the Old Testament make sense because the coming king had come. And it wasn't just that the coming king had come. He had inaugurated, he had presented a kingdom. There was a new reality that was long awaited for. And he, Paul realised that all of his best achievements were, he literally called it dung, rubbish. It, it didn't even compare to the power of the gospel that was at work within him because of its such 
supernatural grace that was working. And I think what happens is over the journey, as you mature over the years, you, you go through this process of moving from your immaturity in your spiritual self to maturity. And that process is a wrestle. Has anyone had a wrestle? Right? Hello. Welcome to the real world. And there's this fantasy idea about what the gospel is. And, and unfortunately, that fantasy is nothing but a fantasy. It's not supported by scripture. It's supported by old wives' tale, motivational teaching, and things that are of the flesh. And so we get disappointed. We go, well, how come if God's promised everything and it's all promises are real, why aren't we seeing those things in our life? You ever ask that question? Who's ever had loss in their life? So, for example, I've lost a mother-in-law. And that's actually not a good thing. <laughs> Some people would say that's a good thing. But it's not a good thing. She was an amazing woman, Tracy's mum. I've lost a father-in-law who was like a father to me. And I've lost a brother-in-law, all to cancer, all within 16 months of each other. Now, that is serious loss, even though we saw miracles on the way. And so I, we have a choice out of every time we suffered loss. When we suffered the loss of Marie, the family got together and we chose to worship God, although we didn't understand. Are you there? And when we chose to worship God, a grace was made available to us that overrode our emotions. It meant the pain was dealt with healing because of his goodness towards us, although we didn't have present understanding. We did the same with Joe. We did the same with Marie. We did the same with Anthony. And it challenged the church. When, when we lost Joe, that was one thing. That was Tracy's dad. Then 14 days later, we lost Tracy's mum in very tragic circumstances where she literally choked to death. The very thing we were assured would not happen, happened. It was traumatic. But you get a choice what you're going to do with that pain. You get a choice of who's going to be greater in the context. Now, did God take Marie out? No. Does cancer belong to God? No. It belongs to a fallen world that is in disorder. Sickness and disease are no part of the kingdom realm of God. And yet, we prayed and saw miracles to a part that I could spend all morning telling you about. We saw God do things in adversity that he could only have done in adversity. Are you there? See, Psalm 23 tells us that there are times of refreshing and from the times of refreshing, we come, the Holy Spirit leads us, God leads us into the valley. See, we like the times of refreshing, don't we? And so we like the church experience on a Sunday where we come together, we worship God and we praise him and we glorify his name. But the real reality is what you're going to take with you back when you leave. And that is where you're going to have to learn how to be powerful in the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because we live in a fallen, complex world that does not operate yet by the way of the kingdom reality of God. And God has chosen you and I to bring forward his kingdom realm, his dominion, his rule and reign into the world so that darkness conforms to the light. Not that light 
is overcome by the darkness. Are you there this morning? So when you face adversity, when you face hurt, when you face disappointment, you have a choice. And we had a choice. And we chose the only response to what we didn't understand in the pain was to worship God. And when we chose that course that he was bigger than our present situation, he gave us a grace in our present situation to overcome the hurt, the pain and the loss to be re-established in him. Recently, we've had the wonderful opportunity of being around a man called Dr. Kevin Zedai. And he's a man that died 26 years ago through a routine dental procedure and he had what he would call a near-death experience. He was taken into heaven and he had a face-to-face time with Jesus, 45 minutes. He said in earth time, it was 45 minutes. In heaven time, it was about a week. See, time in heaven doesn't look like time on earth. There's a little stretch for this morning already. See, you, there are other, this whole world that you see is not the only world that, that there is. And the Bible teaches us there's another unseen realm and there's a seen realm. But we've been programmed and conditioned to only what we see, feel and touch through our natural senses. But there's a whole unseen realm, a spiritual reality, which is called the kingdom realm and a dark realm. There's an unseen realm that is interacting with the physical realm all the time. And we need to understand that because we don't talk about that anymore But the apostles in the early church understood it full well. That was their normal. It's no longer our normal. And because it's no longer our normal, we've been living under the captivity of a dark world and we think it's okay. We become like Israel under the Philistines in the book of Judges when God sent Samson as a deliverer to take them out of their captivity, but they preferred their comfort than their freedom. We are living in that same reality because we don't understand we live in a fallen, dark world. And our flesh, our old nature, is programmed by that fallen, dark world. But the dominion, the one who rules over that dark world, is Satan, not God. And so when we get saved, we get taken out of that and brought into a new reality. Why? So that we can, we can change the world around us by first changing the world within us. We cannot change the world around us until we change the world within us. And you change the world within us by understanding the one who now lives within you. And the greatest conversations that I've had in being around Dr. Kevin Zedai is for 23 years he carried a revelation. He carried profound revelation that awaited an appointed time in history. Three years ago, the Lord said, now is the time where you can write the book of the experience and what I taught you. The Lord has given him 30 books to write over the next 10 years. He came back from heaven being able to play 14 instruments. He could never play an instrument before he went there. He has provoked people to jealousy. Yet I want to tell you what he was given, what he understood, he had to go through a season of establishing in his life before he could release it. Are you there? And so what happened was it wasn't enough that he simply had a revelation. He had to make the revelation his reality. 
And so for 23 years, the Lord told him, and he was obedient to the Lord, even where he wanted to go and pursue other things in life. And so although he was trained and able to fly the commercial plane that he was an air steward on, the Lord said, I want you to go with a servant heart into that sphere so that you can reveal me to everyone that's on the plane. See, your sphere of influence isn't your source of provision. God is. Your sphere of influence is your sphere of influence. Your workplace is your sphere of influence that God has given you to live by a different way into that reality. That's just challenged everyone, hasn't it? You see, God, I'm going to get to this later, but God has appointed the times of the season and the places for you to live. And if you're obedient to walk in the Spirit, then what will happen is as you yield to the power of the Holy Spirit, you will live above the context of what everyone else is living in. Because the kingdom operates at a higher realm. The promises operate at a higher realm than the lower realm that we're walking in. And when we live yielded to the Holy Spirit, I'm going to take you through the scriptures so that you've got some biblical foundation. When you live yielded to the Spirit, you overcome the things of the world around you and most importantly, the world within you. Because you've been programmed to live with yourself at the center, not Christ at the center of your life. That make sense? You've been programmed by a fallen world system to live by your flesh, which means you are at the center and Christ is not at the center. You, your own God, you, your own king, you, your own authority, and but you live in a fallen world and a fallen reality. So you live governed by your emotions more than anything else. Who's ever been living governed by their emotions? And so taking you back to what Dr. Kevin Zadai was teaching us and imparting to us, was that you, you have to live yielded to the Holy Spirit even when your emotions are wrestling against that reality. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because part of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in Galatians is that you have, a, you have the gift or the spirit of self-control. What does that mean? It means you have the ability to govern over the emotions that want to take you out of your future and out of the present reality of who you are in Christ to take you back who you were in the world. To take you back into immaturity, not bring you into maturity in Christ. And so you already have the full power and the full work of the Holy Spirit working in you. When you give yourself to the flesh... You will do the things the way the world does. When you give yourself to the Spirit, the life of Christ flows up into you and you start to come into spiritual maturity, which carries spiritual government over the world within you. You govern your emotions and you start to move in the way of love. Does that make sense? So we see that Kevin's at I, for 23 years, just became a servant into adverse environments. He had to learn how to be an overcomer before he could be a revelator. Because the Lord sent him back with a message for a people for a time and we're in that season. See, God is restoring back to the church the things he always said was true. Because the church has drifted into folklore and false doctrine. And this is what the Lord said to Kevin Zedai. It challenges me to the core. It says this, This generation 
will be known for its laziness and its false teaching and will be judged by the future generation of what they didn't establish. Why is that important? Because we are called through our salvation, not just into our life destiny, but also God's purposes that move from generation to generation. Now, I understand this as a father with my own natural children, and I'm a granddad, which is a great thing, so I get to see the next generation as well. And what I understand is what I'm not willing to establish in my life means it won't be established in my children's life. And what's not established in their life is not established in my grandchildren's life. So what I do matters. Every decision I make today affects not only my future, but their future and my grandchildren's future. So a wise man leaves an inheritance to the third generation. So that means I've got to be responsible to carve something out of, of a platform that my children can build from. And they then are responsible to carve something out from something their children can build on. Are you with me? Why? Because the prophetic destiny over a family is from generation to generation. Are you there? So, so we have generational people in the church. And so my children get to inherit what I've carved out for their increase. But also we, have, we live in a fallen world where without understanding that, we give ourselves to the fallen world and Satan comes to steal that inheritance. The world, when it's ruled by the prince of this air, comes to kill off your future, kill off the reality of who you are in God, to keep you locked up into your past so that you will never come into your future. Are you there? That's what I want to talk about this morning. So the writer of Hebrews tells us that those who've entered into salvation by placing their trust in the finished work of Jesus at the cross of his suffering through the shedding of his blood. The blood is powerful. Satan cannot stand the blood of Jesus because the blood of Jesus not only speaks to an eternal covenant, it speaks to his demise. It speaks to the place which signifies death. And we know this, that when Jesus went down into death, it's there in the pit of depth. You imagine that, the Son of God into the darkest, most vile place, giving himself there to overthrow, overthrow. See, this is the key word for this hour, overthrow principalities and powers and all the works, all the works, say all the works. Not some of the works, all the works of the enemy. Now here's the point. Through your faith, you are joined with him in death and in resurrection. So by faith, were you in Jesus Christ when he overthrowed all the works of the enemy? Yes, you were. How do you know that? Well, you were baptized into water as a visual reminder of what has happened to your life. It has many layers to it, which we don't often talk about. But one of the things is that when you are baptized into Christ by your baptism into water, you go down under the water. What's happening? That signifies your death of not only your own old life, but your complete union with Christ in depth to the whole Adam nature. You are no longer a fallen Adam. 
You're no longer of the self-life. Self is no longer at the center. You now live a crucified life in Jesus Christ. And in that crucified life, what it means is, is that you have completely in Christ overthrown all the works of the enemy. Now we don't stay in death. We rise with him and therefore we come into resurrection power. So now the same life that raised Jesus from the dead who actually died is the same power that lives in you. So that the life you now live is not in the flesh, but as one who's completely overthrown death and everything that it shows and establishes into resurrection power so that you're now living from heaven to earth, not earth to heaven. You are no longer living from the realm of lack, but the realm of unlimited ability called God's promises. Where's the holdup when I live in the flesh and not by the Spirit? Every time I choose to live in my old thinking and my old ways, I limit the ability of my obedience to God to be yielded to the Holy Spirit to bring me into the higher realm so I can establish it on earth. I've died with Christ. I've risen with Christ. I'm now seated with Christ. Where? In heavenly places to to carry his delegated dominion, rule and reign as a son and a daughter to bring forward that reality into this reality. But Satan knows the reality that he's defeated. Now there's an outworking timeline in all of history and the Bible tells us there's an end. Are you there? We're closer to that reality than Abraham was. So there is a time where everything will be consummated and fulfilled. But until then, we live from that realm into this broken world. We live from unlimited potential into the limitations of this world. And if we keep giving ourselves to the limitations of the world, we won't overthrow the works of the enemy. Now, you know this, right? You know it. You've heard it before. But the challenge, like when I suffered loss, was not what I knew. It was my, what I knew in the context of my emotions that wanted to pull me out of what I knew. And I had to learn how to be powerful, not disempowered by my emotions. Because I, I had a million questions. I had a million questions. And the first statement was, what the... Father, I don't understand, but I know you. Faith is not first getting understanding. Faith is first trusting him, the power of his word, and that I'm loved, and that I'm his son or daughter. Because that's the first place the enemy's going to trade on you. The first place the enemy's going to trade is your love affair with the Father and that somehow you're the failure and somehow you didn't pray enough and somehow you were the fault here. It's not true. It's a lie. But we buy into the lie all the time because all of our life we've been programmed in the lie. And this is what happens. We make Satan truthful and God a liar. When God is truthful and Satan's a liar. Are you there? 
is what Paul says in Romans 8. Now Christ lives his life in you. And even though your body may be dead, spiritually dead, because of the effect of sin, in other words, it's decaying, his life-giving spirit imparts life to you because you are fully accepted by God. Fully accepted doesn't mean based on your performance and whether you're obedient. Fully accepted means that God says, whichever way I see you, I see you with the eyes of love. Every time I speak to you is with a heart of love towards your future and that you can be all that I intended for you to be. Every present word has your future in mind. And what God begins, he finishes. So he's not a father that runs out even though we don't have understanding. He's not a father that runs out. He's not an absentee dad. He's a fully present, fully engaged God. Like a father that says, I am with you every step of the way. And in fact, it's my provision and my love and my goodness that will establish you. You don't have to earn a thing. I just smashed a paradigm right there. Because we all grow up that love is what I earn if I'm good. God loves you even when you're in a mess. No, that can't be right, Pastor Paul. That must be wrong. I've got a religious mindset. Of course God wants you to trust him. But you don't trust him in yourself. You trust him through the work of the Holy Spirit and the love connection. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the love connection that gives you ability to believe. So your salvation is really important to understand in its proper way. So yes, God raised Jesus to life. And since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, he will also raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. What does that mean? You've already entered into resurrection life. You've already entered into the future reality that's not yet in your life. What? That's too much for us to understand. You see, we keep living in the limitations of the world around us because that's our normal. And God is trying to take us, like Samson with the Philistines, out of a wrong government and bring us into his government, which has no lack, which is unlimited. But we've been conditioned to believe the lack around us is true of us rather than the truth that comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we've made Jesus a liar. We've nullified the power of the cross by virtue of our thoughts. So therefore you've got to be transformed in the way you live by the renewing of your mind. No longer holding to the pattern of this fallen world. And that's where the challenge is. Because when something doesn't go right and I feel a little rejected, dejected, oppressed, repressed, regressed, when the spirit of this age comes on me and that's its design to take you out from the truth of God, what I do is I respond to it because I'm habitually used to responding to it. 
But now I need to be intentional, brave and real with how I'm feeling and know that something, someone greater, the life of Christ lives in me. And as I yield to the Holy Spirit, I become powerful over that reality and I establish a fresh reality. Are you there? Now, I get to make that decision every moment of every day. Not just Sunday. Not just when I'm preaching. Not just when I'm traveling. See, every moment of every day, I get to be more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. But I've got to, I can't do it passively. I have to do it intentionally. I have to bring my focus to the reality of the spiritual battle that I'm in. See, a lot of Christians think a victorious lifestyle is like having a, a run on the practice pitch where there's no opposition. I can kick goals all day when there's no pressure. I can make the perfect hand pass if we're playing football or the perfect pass if we're playing rugby. I forgot I was in Queensland. <laughs> you see, we can do things perfectly when there's no pressure. The reality is when the pressure is applied, who are you? What are you living? What are you establishing? And we get frustrated with God that his promises are not real because we haven't brought the amen to them. Am I making sense this morning? Romans 8.14 says this, The mature children of God, and the mature children mean that's the huios, the sons of God. The mature huios sons of God. Who was a mature huios son of God? Jesus Christ. So when he's baptized... This is my son, this is my huios son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. What had he done? Nothing. He'd been obedient and found himself in the scriptures. He had grown in stature with man and with God. Can you believe that? The son of God on earth had to grow up into his sonship by fully believing the scriptures about who he was and what the Holy Spirit was telling him in union with the Father. Even Jesus had to establish himself in maturity in the world. How did he get it? By the Spirit and by the Word. How do you get it? By the Spirit and by the Word. Isn't that amazing? By the Spirit and by the Word. Oh, I love the Word. I don't like the Spirit. You can't split God up like that. Because Jesus is the living Word, which is Spirit and Word together as one. And you are to become the living Word. You are as Jesus to the world. 1 John, what? You are as Jesus to the world. We are as Jesus to the world. We are to represent him to the world in a world that has fallen to show them the way out. So we've got to be free self-governing in the power of the Holy Spirit and responsible, completely aware that our actions build something or destroy something. That our words are building something or destroying something. We're either giving power to the enemy or we're, giving the, we're receiving the power of God to establish his dominion, rule and reign. To overthrow darkness, not just for us, not just for our generations, but for everyone else around us. Because our lives don't exist in a vacuum. They exist by interconnected relationships. And what I do affects everyone in this room. What I live affects everyone in the room. 
So that when a man like Kevin Zedai, who's submitted himself in humility and obedience, comes to a house, what I receive is not what he says, but what he carries. He carries a life that as he speaks flows from him into our heart and then I grow up into Christ because of his obedience for my sake. Is that too heavy? So Romans 8.14, the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into fear of never being good enough. What's the trading floor of the enemy? What's the words he whispers to you over, over and over and over again? You're not good enough. You can't do that. Did God really say? Are you sure? They don't really like you there anyway. You might as well leave. Sound familiar? Is that the Holy Spirit speaking to you? No. This is not convenient. This is not comfortable. That's right. That's normal. It's not convenient. It's not comfortable. Good. Now you're into a real spiritual war. See, Satan's strategy is to get you so comfortable you'll ignore your calling. Satan's strategy is to get you so comfortable you're comfortable with you at the center and your world is too small. When you're at the center of your world, you live in a very small world and you can never understand anyone else's world around you. You become insensitive and you fail fail in becoming self-aware. So you never engage anything other than you. Is it convenient for me? Sometimes loving one another is not convenient for me. Sometimes loving my wife is not convenient for me. It's not even comfortable for me. Who's been married for more than five minutes? Right? It's all beer and skittles, isn't it? Right? Like it's so easy, so comfortable. You know, because the reality is I came in to that marriage with a particular upbringing and life view. My wife Tracy came into a marriage with her own upbringing and life view. And the world's come together now and we're still trying to work that out. I've been married for 33 years. And there's still stuff that I process from my childhood and project into my marriage. I'm just being real with you. So what do I get to choose? Do I get to choose to still be the child I was in my father's house or do I get to be the son in my true father's house? I want to be the son in my true father's house so I've got to leave my father's house and recognize my own foundations that are limiting the love of God flowing to me and through me to my wife. I've got to yield to the Holy Spirit so that the love of God can be shed abroad in my heart. I've got to learn how to receive love before I can give love. So when God says love one another as you love yourself, the command is not based on your flesh and your ability. It's based on you receiving his love flowing through you towards others. And that means you've got room for imperfection and weakness in others. That's what it looks like. Because God loves us perfectly. He's not looking every moment at our weakness, our failure and our mess. He's only looking at the potential he's bringing us into. He sees the best in us even when we're at our worst. Oh my goodness. 
Are you there? Now, do we do that for each other? We try to. And to the extent and the measure that we can is the extent and the measure of our spiritual maturity of learning to receive love and give love. Becomes the foundation to the word. And then when through our vulnerability and our weaknesses, we can actually learn to trust one another. Because God doesn't put a man to be by himself. He puts you always in a plurality. He either puts you in a marriage or he puts you in a family or he puts you in a community. Because when you're baptized into Christ, you're baptized into a family. And that family has to learn how to get along. We're really bad at it. Right? So family work it out. They don't walk out. I'm not speaking to my brother, he's an idiot. What did Jesus say about that in your heart? He says, that's not a no-go, that's your flesh. I'm just trying to say, I'm just trying to identify things for you so you can recognise what's of the spirit and what's of the flesh. Galatians 5 tells us what's of the spirit is God's love being made manifest in all its forms. And when I have God's love, I'm able to hear his truth. Truth gets distorted through your flesh when you've got a hurt heart. And if you speak out of a hurt heart, you're not going to carry God's truth. You're going to carry your truth or your opinion or your variation of God's truth. And that's going to cause harm. It's not going to bring liberty, life and reconciliation, restoration and potential. And God calls that an idle word. And Jesus warned his disciples about speaking idle words that work against somebody else's destiny and future. So then the culture of heaven on earth is an encouraging, building up, edifying culture where we exhort each other into our true potential. Does that make sense? And that means we've got to deal, we've got to be self-governing and deal with our heart issues because we all have them. Am I making sense? So, and you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned, separated from the presence or the love of God. You'll never feel that by living by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the way we feel that distance is when we get back into the flesh. When we put ourself at the center, not Christ at the center. So if we're living with Christ at the center, yielded to the Holy Spirit, we come in, this becomes our new reality, and we flow out of that into every relationship, into every action, into every word. And now all of a sudden the life that's being made manifest is not me, but Christ in me. That's what the world wants to see. That's what I want to experience. But there's a journey in that, isn't there? Because just because I've got a library card doesn't make me Yoda. I don't go from believing to the full expression of it. I've got to get on a journey. And on the journey, there's a wrestle. The wrestle is with my old thinking, saying, what are you doing, Paul? Why are you being so self-sacrificial? That's crazy, dude. They're just going to burn you if you go and do that. Am I talking to anybody? You ever thought like that? Why are you going to serve that person? Why are you you forgiving that person? Just judge them. It's easier. Are you there? Here's 
here's the greatest tool of the enemy to stop you coming into your future and using your spiritual authority. Offense. Now Jesus says if you have God's faith, you can shift mountains. But if you have unforgiveness in your heart, it will limit your ability to move in that power. Where is Satan going to trade if you're going to try and drive him out? If you're going to try and liberate yourself and liberate others, what does Satan want to keep you in? Offense and unforgiveness. And unforgiveness is not saying, I forgive you. Unforgiveness is letting God heal you of all the heart wounds of the trespass and the wrong that's been done against you. Taking you out of yourself and into his life. That's why Paul says that we, we have to suffer We've got to take on the sufferings of Christ to be fully established in his glory. Does that make sense? And we don't like that part of the gospel. Who likes suffering? Right? Nobody likes suffering. But I want to tell you, because you live in a disordered, fallen world, you will have suffering one way or the other. Who's ever suffered in their life? Right. Were you suffering when you weren't walking for Je- with Jesus? Yeah. Do you get suffering when you walk for Jesus? Yeah. But which one gives you the power to overcome and live free? Not with you at the centre, with Christ at the centre. So you're going to have it any which way you look because we live in a fallen, suffering world. And suffering is designed to take us out. God uses it in our weakness to glorify himself in us and take us on. Are you there? So, spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into God's family and you will never feel orphaned for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying words of tender affection, beloved father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers in our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Now, Here's the reality. Every one of us wants to be loved. Who here doesn't want to be loved? I don't want love in my life. Get it away from me. No. Every issue of the flesh is based on our orphanness, our lack of knowing the perfect love of the Father. Adam was created in the perfect love of the Father to bring forward the kingdom from the place of rest in deep, intimate relationship with the Father. Jesus comes and restores us back to the place Adam was in before the fall. It's the deep, intimate love of the Father that helps you get understanding that every word towards you is not designed to trip you up. It's designed to bring you to the fulfillment that God created you for to cause you to flourish in a fallen world. So the spirit of adoption for Paul is the essential promise of God fulfilled in salvation that allows you to be repositioned to bring forward the kingdom realm on earth as it is in heaven by yielding to the Holy Spirit. Are you there? So we get to... This wrestle that I've been talking about in Romans 8.5. Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves. Now we do this subconsciously without a lot of conscious thought. We're self-preserving. In fact, 
our primordial brain, our limbic brain, is, is designed to avoid anything that's potentially harmful to us. So if I, if I associate anything of selflessness as harm to me, I won't do it. But if I associate selflessness with power and life, I rewire my thinking to come into a greater reality. Are you there? So we've got to be conscious and intentional in our decision-making, in our thinking about what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. And you have the Holy Spirit working and helping you rewire your thinking, empowering you to righteous or good decisions that says the love of God is going to be perfected both in me and through me. And then I'm going to no longer live for self, I'm going to live for Christ. And I'm going to rewire my thinking to see this is the greatest place, the most empowered and powerful place I can ever live. But I've got to get on that journey. Does that make sense? So that's what Paul's talking about. And he says this, But those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. That means doing, doing what pleases God. And doing what pleases God releases you into freedom, empowerment and fulfillment. See, we've, we've all grown up in the church with a sin punishment paradigm, right? So I better do this, otherwise I'm going to be in real trouble with God. So I do it out of fear. I don't do it out of freedom and love. That's the wrong administration in the New Testament. The Spirit is not the administration of God that causes us to work on fear. It's the Spirit and administration of God that tells us to move on full acceptance and love. And because I'm loved, I can live free. Because I'm loved, I can live powerfully in the Holy Spirit. Because I'm loved, I already have the fullness of the kingdom realm available to me. I lack no good thing in Jesus Christ. He's more than enough. So that when we come to praying for somebody, I'm not waiting for a gift. I'm not second guessing. I'm simply by faith action in the love that I've received at all, the life that's in me, Jesus is the healer. He's already in me. And as I extend my hand in love towards somebody else that's in disorder, that's under the bondage of darkness, I allow that love relationship to flow through the gift towards others and I trust that God will be faithful to his word. That's all I'm required to do. Because I can't heal anyone. You can't heal anyone. I don't have a healing gift. I have a healing God. And the healing God reality is living in me. Because the fullness of the Godhead is now within you. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, we approach it with lack and knowledge. Well, I'm not quite sure how to go about it. You don't need to know the ins and outs. You just got to believe in the one that's living within you can do exactly what he said he can do. That's it. But faith is not just faith in the word. Faith comes from relationship so that you can understand the full depth of the word. So the word can become life to you and flow through you. And so we see that Romans keeps pushing this point. And so this was a big deal for Paul. For the mindset of the flesh is death. I mean, spiritual death and fallenness and all of those things. But the mindset controlled by the Spirit finds life and peace. Finds life, fullness, unlimitedness and peace. That's the kingdom. 
That's the kingdom realm. That means you're in divine order. So when there's things going wrong and I try and fix it in my flesh, am I going to succeed? No. So what do I have to do? I yield to the spirit and I bring myself into alignment so that everything around me can come into alignment. Everything first starts with me before it starts with somebody else. It starts with me so that it can flow from me because I'm in him and he's in me. Therefore, I have the fullness of God dwelling in me. I've just got to learn how to move in his ways to allow it to flow from me into the life of someone else. Jesus puts it this way. He says, bless your enemies. I want to smack my enemies. I want to give them a hiding because I'm hurt, I'm disappointed, and they're being a knucklehead. No, no. Is that order or disorder? So can I create order through my disorder? No. But we don't see it like that because we've learned to validate our emotion and we're right. And everyone else is wrong. And which tree am I living in? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I've become my own God. I haven't become a son of God. I'm living as an orphan. I'm not living as a son. Why is this important? Because Romans 8.28 says this, So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. For he knew all about us before we were born and he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest amongst a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to himself and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone called. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorified with his son. Psalm 139 talks about this reality that every single one of us has a book written about us. Psalm 130, 130, did you know that? That every single one of us, before you were born, God has already written a book of your destiny concerning you. And when you came, when you were knitted together in your mother's womb, you were knitted, you were knitted together not only through the physiology of conception, but the spiritual reality that the spirit that came from the Father was knitted together as a flash of light in the conception process. Science proves that. I'm not just making that up. Science has now established that when conception takes place, there is a flash of light that takes place through the conception. It supports a biblical worldview that says you've come from the Father, you return from the Father, unless you give allegiance to another God. And whom you give allegiance to, you set your destiny with. So if your allegiance is with Christ, where is your destiny? It's found in Christ. So God has written a book concerning you. This is what he says in Psalm 139. You formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside, and wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. That explains everything right there. I, I, I thought we'd, that would help us this morning. 
We are complex suckers, aren't we? We are complex human beings. And I don't think we understand our complexity. Anyone else has got it wrong? Don't you understand me? No, you're complex, mate. Everything you do is marvellously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. How thoroughly, now watch this, how thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place, carefully, skillfully shaping me for nothing, from nothing to something. You saw who you created me to be before I became me. God imagined the perfect you before you were even born. The perfect you. The perfect you, who you were designed to be in all of your diversity, in all of your gender celebration, in all of the giftedness, everything. He, he wove it into you, in your spirit, to be joined with his spirit in the world so that it would be unlocked and given expression to for his glory. His intentions towards you are always good, even when he's disciplining you. We don't like discipline. But God doesn't discipline to punish you. He gives you discipline to shape you, purge you, get you to be the very person he knows you're meant to be flourishing in because the perfect you in heaven needs to be the perfect you on earth. Is anyone, am I hitting walls? Like, because nobody's ever spoken like this to us. Because we've been growing up getting the school of hard knocks. The negative comment, I'm going to overcome. You know, blow the world. I'll get there. I'll get there in my own strength. God's saying you don't have to live like that anymore. I've got your best intentions. I know everything about you. I know how I formed you. I know your potential. I only want to work with you in a way that realizes your full potential to be who you really meant to be so that as you become who you're meant to be, it helps somebody else become who they're meant to be and you all work together to reveal me in your celebrated diversity. Come on! I'm not the same as you. Thank goodness i got a twin brother and he's not really the same as me. I don't need someone else to look the same as me. But that's what we do in a relationship. I'll really like you in this relationship if you're more like me. But you're a little weird. You're a little complex in the relationship. And I don't like your diversity that much. But if you were more like me, we'd get along a whole lot better. Am I talking the truth this morning? So are we okay with our diversity? Are we okay with our differences? Is love more than sameness? Love says, I've got room for you. I've got room for your weakness. I've got room for your diversity. But how do we work together? Because we're better together as a community to establish the purposes of God. Because we've got an enemy that wants to take each of us out. Military strategy 101. It's called isolation. Then block the line of communication. Then block the line of resources. That's how, that's how the enemies trades. But when we're together, when we come together, the enemy gets really worried. And then when we start celebrating each other, how God celebrates each of us, and we start seeing each other from God's point of view, not from a worldly point of view, we start living as mature sons of God, guess what happens? Heaven invades earth. Wow! 
then all of a sudden people want to be in your church. Why? Because they're not trying to be the best them. They're trying to be who God called them to be. And Psalms goes on and, 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 and it says that these books have been written every day. Every day. God's written about you every day with every day as an opportunity. See, we as Christians, charismatic Christians, we're waiting for the event. And God says, you are the event. You are the event. Every day is written for you to reveal him, to reveal who you are. When you reveal him, you reveal who you really are. You need to say that again. When you reveal him, you reveal who you really are because you're a son of God. You've got the DNA of the father. That's how Jesus lived. His job was to reveal the Father and everything he did, thereby glorifying his name. So when, so when I forgive and I don't want to forgive, I'm glorifying the name of Jesus. And I'm setting myself free and I'm setting somebody else free and I'm becoming powerful and so are they. When I choose to give and, 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 and I don't have enough, I'm saying, God, I trust you for the increase beyond my present circumstances because your promise operates at a higher realm than my circumstances. I'm being who I'm called to be. You know, there's a lot of conversation everywhere I go. Do you tithe? Do you don't tithe? Do you do this? Do you that? I said, I'm not a man of covenant. I'm born again. I've got the DNA of my father. Can you outgive God? Then shouldn't I, but by virtue of my DNA, living yielded to the spirit, be generous in all things? Is my father generous in all things? Then do you want to be like Satan, who's a robber and a thief and a tightwad, is that it? Can I say that, Ben? I'm Aussie to Aussie. Can you, can you just see? God is not a, doesn't carry a poverty spirit. Satan does. I'm not joining myself with the world. I'm joining myself with my father. And so when you start seeing all of this, it's so important where we identify where we are loved from and how we love and how we move and have our being. And so we're meant to move and have our being in him, knowing that God, Psalm 139, 1 to 6 says, you've gone into my future. You've gone into my future. God is speaking from your future into the present every day for you to flourish. God is speaking from your future into your present. And what Satan does is he comes along and he tries to snatch that word out of your heart and he gets you to believe in your past rather than your future that's being manifest in the present so many people are wanting a prophetic word about what does my future look like and God doesn't give it to them you know why because he knows you won't be able to steward it well you see by relying on every present word you are putting your trust into God that he will do the very thing he said he would do. The most reliable place you can live to come into your future, your prophetic destiny, is fully yielded to him, to the power of his present word. Are you there? If you do the present word, it's like a footstep towards your future. Every moment of every day, what is the present word of God for me today? See, most of us saying, Lord, what are you going to make me? You're going to make me a great prophet to the nations. He says, no, go and take out the bin today. Sounds like my wife, actually. Why does God say that? 
because Psalm 105 said that the word of God over Joseph's life purged his character until the fullness of time when it was ready to release the fullness of the promise. We don't like our character getting purged. But you can't carry the fullness of the destiny in your immaturity. You've got a car full of Ferraris, but you're not licensed to drive. Does it mean the promise is not there? It means you're there. But you've got to get to a place where you're able to drive the provision in a proper way that it doesn't kill you. God wants to bless you. He's made up his mind. He wants to bring you into everything. He's made up his mind. The question is, in this hour, are you going to live from the love of God to reveal the love of God? The love of God will shape you. It will carry you. You'll become like a Kevin's at I, where you would yield to the Holy Spirit for 23 years, although you carry a revelation and need to become something in a generation because somebody else didn't. Kevin doesn't want to do it, but for the sake of Jesus, he will. He's not a man that's looking to make his name great. But he knows he's got a message for this generation and the generations until Jesus comes back. The question is this for us. Are we still living with self at the centre or are we living with Christ genuinely at the centre? And are we willing to allow God to love us enough to purge our character towards maturity that we can carry the fullness of the destiny that will shape not only our lives but our marriage, our children, our grandchildren, a city and a nation? Sometimes we think that's too big. So God says just do it one step at a time. Start with the simple things, and let me develop you into the greater things. Amen? That's all I've got to say about that. All of what I'm saying can be found in Romans 8 and Psalm 139. I want to go back into worship, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. I know if you're like me, you wrestle from time to time with issues of rejection, of hurt, disappointment, people letting you down, not understanding what's going on all the time. But I want you to say today, you know what, Lord? I'm not going to live in that place. I'm going to live in the place that's before you. I'm going to live yielded to the Holy Spirit. And the key way we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit and the love of God is in all of the messes I started with, you offer him praise and you offer him worship. And you become like the one you behold. Okay? Worship is never about how I feel. It's always about who he is. Are you there? And when you behold him, you behold him face to face in the spirit. That's what Paul says to the Corinthians. And as you behold him, knowing who you really are, you get transformed into his image and you move from glory to glory, increase to increase because the work of the spirit nullifies the works of the flesh. Amen? 
I know you're comfortable to sit in your seat. I'm going to wreck your comfort this morning. Why don't you make a statement to every principality and power, to every spiritual force that's been trading on your past and trying to take you from the future and say, today, I'm turning the tables. Today, I'm going to move in overthrow. Today, I'm going to move in overthrow. Today, I'm going to be self-governing and responsible. And today... Like every day, I'm going to give Jesus the glory even though I don't understand. Even though it looks like a mess, he's faithful. So why don't you find a place where you can come to the front, where I'm going to call you to the altar, because I want to smash this thing that keeps us in limitation called the flesh so that we can come fully yielded, fully surrendered in all of our weakness to his glory and to his grace. Can we do that? I'm not going to drive you. I'm going to ask you to make a faith statement right now. If you want to come to the front, come to the front. Let's not hold back anymore. Let's be who we really are before God. My sense is not only is there emotional healing here, There's actually overthrow in the area of healing and overthrow in the area of provision. All the promises are yes to which we now bring the amen in Jesus Christ. Let me just pray for you. Father, we thank you for the truth and the power of the gospel. Lord, it it is beyond our understanding what you've done, but that is the measure of the unlimited nature of your love and the unlimited reach of your truth. And we come together, Lord, lifting your name up above every other name to glorify you. And Lord, we give you all of our heart, all of our mess, all of our brokenness, all of our uncertainty, all of our disappointment. We cast all those things to the altar of praise that you may be lifted up and glorified. And Lord, we know by the power of your word that as we behold you, we become like you. And we ask for the healing work of the Holy Spirit, the restoring and redeeming work of the Holy Spirit to manifest itself in us even as we worship you. Even as we worship you, Lord, would you minister to us? Just remember, as you worship, the glory of God is within you. The fullness of the Godhead is within you. And as you yield and as you sing to Him and as you give expression to Him from a heart of love and yieldedness, the glory that's within you starts to flow out of you like streams of living water. And it starts to create an atmosphere around you. And you start to come into alignment with that reality, which is a greater reality than your emotions, than your flesh, You bring everything into alignment. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can come together as those who have been predestined before the foundation of the earth to be conformed to your image and to your likeness as revealed in Jesus Christ. Lord, we declare that he is the center of our lives and all that we do. 
He's the foundation upon which we build. He is the rock that keeps us safe in every storm of life. We thank you, Lord, that every thought you have towards us is beyond our present asking or our imagination. That you are the God that pursues us even in the mess. That we may know your love and experience your glory. That there is nothing that you cannot do. Nothing is impossible for you. And therefore nothing is impossible for those who believe in you. Lord, let this be a season of just not breakthrough, but overthrow. Let us today know that we can overthrow every wrong thought, every emotion that tries to rob us, every spirit of doubt, of deception, can be exposed by the truth and the power of the Holy Spirit and your word. That we would step in today to an intentionality of the pursuit of the things you've called us into. Lord, I pray for an establishing glory to be made manifest in this house and from this house. That everywhere people go, they carry a glory into their sphere of influence where you have placed them. I pray for the reconciliation of relationships in marriages amongst children. Lord, I pray for provision that you have already stored up for the vision that you want to bring people into, personally, households, and this church. Father, I thank you for the increasing glory that will manifest on the Gold Coast and beyond. I thank you, Lord, that you have chosen the unlikely things to confound the wise that you've taken ordinary people and brought them to yourself to make them extraordinary in you. Lord, let this be a season where we put away the things of the past and fully embrace the things of the future, revealed today in the present. In Jesus' name, they all said, Amen. Amen. Bless you, bless you, bless you as you go.